Welcome to another episode of Try iPod, the MD PhD admissions podcast. Today I'm here with Dr. Joseph Aaron. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. So uh, we usually start with the broad question uh, Dr. Aaron, what do you do and why? Okay, so I am currently the director of immunology discovery at Genentech, which is uh, a large biotech pharmaceutical company in, uh, in California. And um, why do I do this? Uh, <laughs> so, so I, I guess the, the existential answer to that is that I'm interested in trying to use my understanding of uh, human disease and skills in doing research into biology of human diseases to develop new medicines. In the course of your MD-PhD studies, there's a lot of transitions. In the course of your MD-PhD studies, how did you sort of weather those transitions personally as a student? I guess or if you did. <laughs> the further away I get from it, the, the more fondly I reflect upon mm. it. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's really a jarring transition. And so, you know, it, when I first started, I did a summer lab rotation uh, in a lab at, at Rockefeller and it was so exciting to be working in that lab and the project I was working on was really taking off and loaned a new gene. I continued working in the lab in my spare time after I started first year of medical school and so I pretty much was able to sail through the biochemistry and molecular biology courses because I knew all that stuff already. And then we got to the second unit, which was genetics and embryology. And I think that, you know, they had weekly quizzes. And so on the, the first quiz, which was all genetics, I got a very good score, like 93 or something like that. The second quiz was like half genetics and half embryology. And I got like a 56 on that one. <laughs> And then the third one was just embryology, which I hadn't learned previously, and I got like a 25, and then I got called into the course director's office to ask what was going on. And so I explained that I was spending most of my time not in uh, in med school classes working in the lab because we were doing this thing, and it was really cool, and I was going to get a paper. And uh, he said, you know, you got to stop doing that because you need to learn what you need to learn in medical school and you'll have plenty of time to go back and do that. And, you know, so I did that and paid attention and got through first year of med school and then went right back to the lab. Uh, after I finished my PhD, um, you know, it was a real culture shock coming back to uh, the clerkships because that was very different from what I had last done in medical school, whatever it was, three or four years earlier. And, uh, you know, it, it's just sort of like jumping into a cold swimming pool. Like if you try to ease your way in, it's going to be much worse than if you just plunge in. So eventually I was able to adjust to it and focus on that for a while. And uh, I think what I learned about myself through the whole process was that uh, that I'm pretty good at focusing on one thing that's in front of me. And uh, once I once I figure out that's what I need to do to succeed at it. So so you know my advice to students trying to navigate those transitions is just 
you know, leave whatever you were doing behind and go do the other thing for a while. Um, maybe we can come back to further discussion of, of how that's influenced decisions I made after the MD-PhD program. Yeah, I think that has a lot to say about um, the amount of focus or the relationship with a sort of an academic focus that uh, students need to have in the course of their degrees. Because to me, as an outsider, it definitely seems uh, and not just intellectually demanding in terms of the subject matter. It seems demanding just in terms of like the amount of sort of calories your brain is is burning just to sort of get through the different kinds of thinking you have to do between all the uh, the styles of work that go into the uh, earning the MD PhD. Right. Um, so it, through these different transitions, uh, to what extent did you feel supported by the different elements of the tri-institutional program through these transitions? I think the main support was through peers who had, who had weathered those things before. And it's, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to complain to that has been through the same problem and they commiserate with you. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's valuable in and of itself. Um, you know, I think people who end up in the combined program, there is, I, I think, a pretty good selection process for people who are able to, uh, you know, switch over in between very different types of tasks. And these are generally people who, in addition to being, you know, doing well as an undergraduate and getting a good score on the MCATs and so on, are well-rounded people who have the ability to uh, excel in a lot of different pursuits. And I think there is value to that. You know, we're all, uh, in some ways we're dilettantes, but in, in other ways it's, you know, it's it's a particular phenotype of, of personality that, that can just sort of pick a subject and go deep on it. And, and you know, I think that's actually a skill set that, that you maybe unconsciously build while you're going through the training process is to uh, be able to just plunge into something new and figure out what you need to figure out about it to, to get by. And um, that skill set keeps coming back again and again um, as you progress through your career. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, I think you need to have some innate ability or openness to, to trying that kind of thing, but the more times you exercise that muscle, the better you get at it. So as an alum, how would you characterize your current relationship to the program um, looking back? Well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's what everyone has said, but I guess I would just be in how you think of it. You said that it be, sort of becomes a more nostalgic or yeah. idealized experience as you look back, yeah. but... That, that's actually a really good way of putting it. I don't know if you've heard this from other people, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's difficult when you're in the process of, of doing it. It's you know, nobody's going to say this is easy or should be easy, and um, it's a grueling experience. But you come out the other side a different person. And um, as I've gone on in my career, I've not necessarily followed the most traditional path for an MD PhD. Um, but what I find is that working actually in the, the biotech industry, I am at an enormous advantage having had both sides of that training because although I direct a, a research group, I am 
able to easily converse with the clinicians who are trying to take our product from research and put it into the clinic and do experiments on humans and and you know having that framework of, of at least having gone through the process of learning about disease pathophysiology and how do you actually approach a patient with a disease um, is an experience that a lot of my colleagues and peers just don't have they don't have both sides of that and um, and yeah it's it's a huge advantage and so I, I guess not a lot of time goes by between when I consciously reflect on, on having done that and, and appreciate the experience that I had. So you say that it's not a traditional uh, path for an MD-PhD, but it sounds as if it does combine a lot of the, the patient and research elements of the MD-PhD. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I actually, at, at the risk of getting in trouble with the, uh, with the, uh, with Olaf and the administration, um, I actually think MD-PhD training is excellent training for a career in in the drug development in- industry. Um, it's, you know, there, there are, I would say there are not a lot of MD-PhDs in the industry, but most of the ones I encounter are very successful and they're in leadership positions. And there's a good reason why, because they actually understand how to translate something that goes on in the lab into something that might be relevant to patients and back. Yeah, so what I would say is be patient, um, embrace what's directly in front of you, and just plunge in deep in terms of trying to understand what you're doing at this point in time. You're going to be doing a lot of different things as you go along, and each of those things may come back to be handy later in your career, but uh, don't uh, don't resist uh, the challenges that, that come your way, and don't say, oh, I'm not interested in, you know, understanding renal physiology because when am I ever going to need that you know the, the process of learning each of those uh, those things we learn is in itself a valuable uh, a valuable skill set to have uh, or a valuable experience to have had and it, and um, yeah everything it's amazing what comes back uh, years later and so um, I, I think I wish I had been maybe more open and less cynical when I was a student. Not that I was hugely cynical, but I do re- recall occasions where I said, oh, why do I need to do this? This is dumb. <laughs> and, and that doesn't sound like a student at all. Better attention to it. Well, uh, one exciting piece of news, you were just elected to counsel of the American Society for Clinical Investigation, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, congratulations. That's really, You're one of uh, four tri-institutional alums to just be elected to counsel. So it's interesting that you mentioned that your current career path is non-traditional for an MD-PhD when it seems as if there is this yeah. um, sort of coming together of tri-I alums. So what, what if you could explain a little bit about that or... Yeah, yeah certainly. Um, uh, yeah, I just uh, actually last weekend was at the, um, the induction ceremony and the annual meeting for the ASCI, and it was fantastic to... Uh, to get back together and reconnect with the um, other tri-institutional alums. Um, as it turns out, one of the other inductees, uh, Danny Reich, um, who was one of my contemporaries uh, when I was a student there, 
uh, Danny and I played in a string quartet uh, for, uh, you know, we performed concerts at Caspery Auditorium at, at Rockefeller. And we weren't great, but but we were really into it. And uh, we had this this extensive shared experience beyond simply just being students in the same program together. And, you know, it, you sort of drift apart over the years. And, and it was just great to reconnect with him. And it was as if we picked up right where we had left off. Um, the uh, ASCI is a... Uh, a society for um, clinical investigation, and it really epitomizes, um, I think, what MD-PhDs uh, do, and it's, you know, this constant translation back and forth between the bench and the bedside and, and trying to come up with new insights into human biology that can help uh, address, uh, you know, uh, patient uh, patients with diseases. And, uh, you know, one thing that I'm particularly proud of is that in the um, in this year's class of ASCI inductees, there were 74 new people inducted and one of them was from industry and that was me. <laughs> uh, so I, I think I may be somewhat of an outlier within industry, but um, it, it also speaks to the commitment that the, the company that I work for, Genentech, has to um, to really trying to do excellent science and, and um, really focus on critical unmet medical needs. And so, you know, while we are a for-profit company that is trying to develop new drugs, um, the reason we're doing it or the motivation behind it is is because we want to bring to bear excellent science um, to, to really address significant unmet medical needs. And so, I, you know, I'm pleased that that was recognized. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Aaron. Sure, my pleasure.